welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome. My name is Micah. If we haven't met, uh, glad that you are here. We are in a study uh, on 1 John, and we're in chapter 3, so I want to invite you to turn to 1 John 3. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, right in the back by the black light, you can follow the black light. Uh, there are Bible ba- Bibles back there. You can grab one. And uh, yeah, why don't we go ahead and read this, and then we'll just jump in, if we may. I'm going to start in verse 18, which was the last verse of what we studied last week, and then we'll jump into 19. So, dear children... Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what, he please, or do what pleases him. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. This The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Pray with me if you would. God, as we open your scriptures, I ask that uh, these words would become alive, that they would be more than two-dimensional, but that they would become 3D, that they would become animated by your spirit, that you might pick them up and speak through them. God, lots of things brought through these doors Um, ups and downs, highs and lows, um, triumphs and tragedies. And amidst that, God, we pause and we rest and we receive. We recognize that you are the giver of all good things, that you are the giver of life, the giver of love. um, And God, that you want to give those things to us. And so this morning, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and the courage, God, to respond to what you might be doing and saying in our midst. We pray these things in your name, by the power that raised you from the dead. All God's people said, amen. So 1 John chapter 3, we are, uh, we're a couple of months into this study, and uh, I want to highlight a couple of themes that I think show up in this text as we kind of move our way towards communion. Uh, so know that that's coming. Uh, a couple of the themes that sort of bubble up uh, are are certainly um, one thing that John has been just hammering over the last couple of weeks in in this text, which is loving others. Uh, Action, right? Verse 18 says that we should not love each other with speech or or words, but in action, Uh, indeed. So John highlights that, uh, loving others. He talks about the forgetfulness of our hearts and, and and how we convince or how we remind ourselves or who reminds us of who we are. Uh, And certainly the grace of God is in here. John finishes with this encouragement to this group of people uh, about faith and belief married with action, uh, which I think is a a beautiful spot for us to end. So let's jump in uh, to verse 19, and it's important for us to remember, this book was not written in English. Uh, It was written thousands of years ago, written in a a language called Greek, uh, most of the New Testament, excuse me, all the New Testament. Uh, and, and there's not a lot of punctuation, if any, in Greek, right? So as we look at verse 18, and there's a period at the end of it, and then a little indent in verse 19, and then a colon after verse 19, and verse 20 starts, it leads us to believe certain things, like this is the end of a thought, this is the beginning of a thought, this connects to this. Sometimes the translation uh, gets it right. Sometimes the people that made those decisions get it right. And I think sometimes... Uh, they steer us um, in a direction that maybe the author didn't intend. I think that verse 18 and verse 19 go together for John, 
right? He says this, dear children, let us love with words or speech, but with actions, or not, not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Keep going in that thought. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So absolutely connected verse 18 and 19. Now, just to start off, I want to point out one word in verse 19 that gets translated, set our hearts at rest. And the word is, uh, it's a Greek word, it's um, pisomen, and it comes from a, a word called patho. And the word is translated to, per, uh, to persuade. Now, the, this word is used like 52 times, not like 52 times, it's used 52 times in the New Testament. And literally in, in every situation other than this one, it's translated with the idea of to persuade or to convince. I looked all over the place to try to figure out why would this be translated to set our hearts at rest, and I'll tell you what I came up with. Nothing. No good reason. No good reason. The overwhelming evidence says that this word should be read to persuade or to convince. Having that in mind, oh, by the way, I think if you don't translate it this way, verses 19 and 20 sort of stand at odds with one another because you have this idea of like setting our hearts at rest with God and then our hearts condemning us. So it's kind of a bizarre deal. But if you translate it this way, I think it begins to make a little bit more sense. Uh, if we read it like this, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we persuade our hearts in the presence of God. Then he goes on, and he says, if our hearts condemn us. Now, what's John saying as we start verse 19? I would say this, number one, loving in action, so loving through our actions is how we convince or persuade our hearts. Loving in action is how we convince or persuade our hearts. I don't think I have to... Uh, persuade you or convince you that there are times in our life when we have to try to convince our heart of what our mind already knows, right? Have you ever been in a situation like that where you know something in your head, but you have to try to convince your heart, your emotions, like your, you know, splagna on your guts. We talked about this last week, that it's just not settling there. And so you, you try to convince, you know, from your mind, you try to convince your heart that this is true. Uh, short illustration. I, when I was in college, <clears throat> I, uh, well, when I was in high school, I met a gal named Sarah, uh, the first girl that I said I loved and that I really actually meant it and had at least some clue about what I thought I was talking about. Uh, so this is the first girl I ever fell in love with, uh, Sarah. We went uh, from, from high school into college, and at about eight months in or so, um, for those of you who are veterans in love, you might, you might remember this, love changes. At, you know, six, eight months or so. And what happens is, you know, the fireworks, the tractor beam sucked me right in kinds of things, you know, they sort of subside. And then there arises this choice that you have to say, like, I choose my, with my will and my volition to love this person. And, you know, yes, there are those moments as well. But, you know, as John, uh, you know, the great poet and philosopher of our day, what's his name? Not John Lennon, John, uh, the guitar player. Thank you, John Mayer. Our love is comfortable. I'm like, John Lennon? No. Right, he says our love gets comfortable. That was a downer. That was a total bomb. Sorry about that. But the point being, so I'm in this situation and my head, I know in my head, like, I love this girl, but then my heart starts wandering and I'm trying to, and I'm thinking like, maybe I don't, maybe it's this. And my, he- my head is trying to convince my heart that this is true. How many of you have ever been rock climbing before? Any rock climbers in the room? Yeah, a couple of you, right? The, 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 the pe- people who teach you how to rock climb, they say, listen, friends, the rope will hold you. I mean, the thing could hold a truck, literally, like a 2,000-pound truck. It's going to hold you. Now, whether or not the person on belay at the bottom is paying attention is a whole nother issue, but the rope will hold you. And so in your head, you know that this is true, but then you have to try to convince your heart that this is also true so that you can take the first step up the, up the deal. So there are these moments in our lives where our, we, have to, we have to try to convince from our head that 
in our heart something is real or true. Um, this begs the question as we look at this text, what is it that John thinks that we have to convince our hearts of? What do our heads know that our hearts don't know? The prophet Jeremiah says this about the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Uh, Augustine, St. Augustine, the great St. Augustine, though I differ on many points of theology, he did get this right, I think. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Bottom line, the human heart is an unbelievable thing. Right? I mean, not so much the physiological things, which are fascinating, but the, the spiritual sense. Um, the, the heart is a broken and very dark place often. And again, I don't know that I have to work too hard to convince you of that fact. Right? We've all looked deep inside of us and seen the ugliness and the darkness that resides there. And left to its own, left to its own devices... The heart will seek to please itself, will seek to protect itself, will vie for its own safety and its own desires. And this is what we do. This is what the heart does until an outside force like jars the heart and reminds it this is actually not what you were made for. This is not what the heart is about in God's intent. But this is unfortunately what we have inherited and what we choose from Adam and from Cain and that this, you know, two, two humanities we talked about last week. John says in the verses right before this that the truly human and the truly Christian, the truly Christ follower response is that when we see somebody in need and we have the capacity to meet their needs, that we don't turn our being, our hearts, our guts, our splagnon away from them, but that we enter into them and we serve them and we give and we love. John's essentially saying that in loving others as we live in action, the love that we've experienced from God, what happens is that we persuade our hearts what is true of us, right? We know in our heads, the Bible tells us, you're a new creation, you are made new, you're adopted, you're a son and a daughter, you, have a, you are a, a, you know, an inheritance of a king. We know these things, but our hearts wander. Uh, that great old hymn, um, oh, uh, something about my heart wandering, what is it from, uh, man, I'm blanking here. What is it? Thank you. Come, thou fount of every blessing. You know, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor. My heart wanders from thee. We know this, and this is what we do. But John says, when we love others, when, when our hearts aren't convinced of who we truly are, who we really are, who God made us to be, John says, love others, because as you do, you persuade your heart, you t- your, your mind, what you already know is true, persuades your heart that this is true. Um, when we serve, when we love, when we give ourselves away, we tap into something that is essential, that is at the core of what it means to be human. Want to go out on a limb here? Any Extreme Home Makeover fans? Yes, okay, a couple of you. First hour, it was like crickets. I'm like, liars, liars. This is Extreme Home Makeover, right? I mean, aside from Ty Pennington, who's just, you know, oh my gosh, right? Oh, Ty, move that boss! And aside from the whole, you know, like, you know, uh, sociological and the social justice things of, you know, people of privilege coming in and building this house in a place where, you know, let's set all that aside for just a second. I know we got some social, gospel, uh, social activists and, and social workers. Set that aside for a second, but just for a moment, right? When, when, the, when people come together and they, they pool their resources and they bless someone else out of the goodness of their own heart, there's something pure in that moment 
and we know it, which is why at the end of Extreme Homemaker, I am Oprah'd every time on the couch. I mean, I'm just like weeping. Oh my gosh, Ty, that's so beautiful. That's amazing. Because it's like, it's down there. It's in you. That goodness, beauty, love, giving of yourself for another, that is in you because that's who you were made in the image of. pause for one second. I was going to start by saying this. I needed to remind you folks at 11, you know, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day. They're like, nine o'clock's a lot livelier. 11 o'clock, like crickets all the time. And I said, why is that? They said, well, listen, the nine o'clock people are up because they want to be up. We're up because we have to be up. <laughs> so freedom to like respond and say, come on, brother, preach it. Or yeah, I like that thought, mister. You know, <laughs> however it comes out for you, just let her rip. Okay. Just let her rip. So John starts by saying action, love in action convinces and persuades our heart. Why? Verse 20, because our hearts are forgetful. Look at verse 20, what it says there. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything, dear friends. If our hearts do not condemn us. Now, particular word here, the word condemn is a word, a Greek word, it's kata gnosko. Now it's translated, I think it's pretty, I think it's a good translation and it's, and it's used in this form other places so there's lots of corroborating evidence that condemn is a good translation of this. But what we miss in English, John's doing something very, very subtle in Greek, okay? You could read it like this. If our hearts kata gnosko us, we gnosko that God is greater than our hearts and he gnoskos everything. And then he goes on in verse 20, 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not kata gnosko, do you see what's happening here? Okay? He's using the same root word and he's just going compare and contrast, compare and contrast. Kata gnosko literally means, kata is uh, against, and gnosko, which you should pay attention, if you're paying attention, you should say, that sounds familiar. Gnosticism, okay, comes from gnosis, which means to know. So what John literally says here is, if our hearts are against knowing, right? If our hearts are confused, if our hearts condemn us, that's what's going on there. And he, he props that over and against. If our hearts, kata gnosko, us, take courage, take heart, that God gnoskos, God's heart is greater than ours. Now, let me unpack this a little bit. John is, all through this book, he's been saying, that when we say yes to Jesus, when we, by faith, trust Christ, something happens, right? He uses light and darkness, this metaphor of light and dark, that the light is shining, the true light is shining, and the darkness is passing. Paul uses the image of new creation and old creation, or a, a new person and an old person. When you say yes to Jesus, something happens fundamentally inside of us, in our being, in our essence, that Paul says we're transformed into a new reality. The spirit of God is given to us. We move from enemies of God to friends of God, from, from orphans who are out you know, wandering to people who are welcomed home, adopted sons and daughters of God. Something happens in us, and yet there's a very real sense that these two realities are battling, right? That there is something still deep inside of my heart of this all the while this is true of me, this is still battling. And Paul talks about this war that's waging. And guess what's at the center of it? Guess what's caught in the middle of it? Right? The metaphor that they use over and over and over again is my heart, our hearts. So when our hearts kata gnosko us, when our hearts don't know, when they're confused, John says, take heart, be encouraged. God knows everything. God, God's gnosko is greater than our kata gnosko. Now, I, I want to, this, this, this unknowing, this against knowing, this kata gnosko, I think it comes uh, 
The text sort of walks us towards this idea, but it doesn't explicitly go there. I just feel pressed to go here this morning because I think it's important that we, we get this. And I want to talk just for a second about shame and guilt and conviction. And I think the massive difference between the two, massive difference, shame and guilt and conviction. Now, there's a story about uh, any bird watchers out there? Any bird watchers? Yeah. My mom's a bird watcher. She, she got us into this in high school, and then I quickly got bored of it when I realized that girls in short skirts were a lot more fun to look at. <laughs> Come on, everybody. <laughs> high school boys, you know. So there's a story of an eagle. An eagle, massive nest, if you've ever seen these things. I mean, they're gigantor. Uh, up in this huge tree that sits on this farm overlooking this, this massive farmland. And the, the eagle has little baby eaglets, and so they hatch, and they're doing their deal, and mama goes to get food and the deal. And each day, you know, the, the eaglets get a little more brave, and they move out from the center of the nest, which is the safest part. And eventually, one of the little eaglets gets enough courage, and he hops up onto the edge of the nest, right? And he's looking over the vast farmland going, wow. And then, unbeknownst to him, a big gust of wind comes. And unfortunately, the little eaglet falls out of the nest and down to the ground. Now, friends, don't, don't worry. The eaglet makes it. And good news, good news, a bunch of bleeding heart chickens take him in. The chickens on the farm, they take in the little eaglet. They're like, oh my gosh, this poor bird, like we've got to take him in. So they do, they take him in among their own. And like any good evolutionary being, the, the eaglet starts to mimic and, and participate in the activities of the people around him. So sure enough, I mean, at first they're thinking, okay, it's a big chicken, right? And then eventually the, the eaglet grows to be an eagle and they're like, okay, it's just a chicken on the juice, right? It's like Barry Bonds. Um, but the eagle, the eagle he, he learns from the chickens, and so over day after day after day that you can find this massive chicken or this massive eagle wandering around the farm, pecking the ground with these chickens. Now one fine day, one of his brothers is like, holy cats, look at the size of that chicken. And he flies down there and he realizes it's, it's not a chicken. It's an eagle. And he goes to him and he says, brother, Look around you. Look at these chickens. They're not like you. I mean, just look at them. They're chickens. You, you are not a chicken. You're an eagle. Like you were born to fly. The most majestic of birds. Like we own the airwaves, bro. He's like, that's for you. That was meant for you. But you're not a chicken. And so day after day after day after day, this bird, this eagle, this majestic, like the symbol of our country, right, is pecking the ground like a chicken on a farm. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, what in the world does that have to do with guilt and shame and conviction? And I'm going to get there in just a second. Guilt and conviction, or guilt, let's call it guilt and shame, and then conviction, two very different things. And and I want to press into this. Guilt is the thing that doesn't go away. It needles at you, regardless of your action or your inaction. It just hovers, and it's heavy, right? That thing that you did, or that thing that you're participating in now. And the, 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 the faint possibility that somebody knows what it is. And that sinking feeling of just heaviness that we feel. Guilt leads you further and further and further from who you were meant to be. Guilt invites you to walk farther and farther away from what God intended you to be. That's what guilt and shame does. It has no redemptive value. Conviction, on the other hand, is that moment, that feeling that moves you to action and then subsides. 
Conviction is the thing that actually invites you. It draws. This is what John says over and over and over. Come out of the darkness into the light. That's conviction and it serves a purpose and it's of the spirit. Guilt and shame are not of the spirit and they are not of God. So if you found yourself in religious communities in the past and it just felt like guilt and shame over and over again, I just want to go ahead and go on the record and say, I don't think that's of God. And I don't think that's for you. There's something different. Not, 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 it's not a license to do anything. But conviction serves a different purpose and it does something different. Whatever is hanging around your neck this morning, whatever you have just not been able to take off, I want you to know that you are free to take it off. Like you do not have to live that way anymore. That is not true of you. You don't have to live that way. Not for another day. You are forgiven. You are free. You are a son or a daughter of the king. Will you live into that is the question. Will you receive that? You are not a chicken. John's reminder to these people he, goes, he says, listen, if your hearts condemn you, if your, if your hearts kataganosko you, there's, a, there's, there's confusion or against knowingness happening there, take heart because God's heart is greater. God's knowing is greater. Uh, we have a tendency to forget and our heart leads us backwards instead of forwards at times. And, and the gospel, if it, if it says nothing else, it says this. It says that God's posture towards you is most fully revealed on the cross of Jesus and in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So do you want to know what God's heart looks like? John says, listen, God's heart is greater. God's heart is... Take courage, be encouraged that what you need to know about God has been fully revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. And Hebrews says, if you want to know what God looks like, it's in Jesus. So God's disposition to you is not one of anger and wrath and yeah, it's one of love and welcome and, and sacrifice and mercy and grace. And this we know if we know nothing else from the scriptures. A couple, uh, this week I got an email from somebody and um, I, I was, as I was reading it, I thought that just nails it. Like, what does God look like? What does God's heart look like? This person writes this. Last Thursday, I had a student arrive at school in good spirits. But as the morning wore on, he became irritable and then out of control. This little guy is going through a rough patch at home and in his family. And as a three-year-old, is resilient but doesn't have a store of coping mechanisms. So to keep from hurting himself and another kid or our classroom, I resorted to practically swaddling him in my arms on my lap as he kicked and screamed and cried. I won't tell you, I won't tell you, he screamed. And I looked down at him and I said, you don't have to. I'm just going to hold you. And then tentatively and slowly, I leaned my head closer so that he wouldn't hurt me, but so that I could whisper in his ear. And I said, I love you. And I have always loved you. And nothing you do will change that. That is God's heart. That's what God looks like. 
when our hearts are katagonoskod and we need to be persuaded, we know what God's heart looks like. When we forget, we know. John ends this passage with this, this, uh, this insistence that we can live with clarity and with assurance, which is uh, you know, a hot commodity in our day and age. So many of us go through life with uncertainty, with doubt, not knowing who we are, not knowing what we should do, not knowing if we can know God or if we can participate in God or if we can uh, have a relationship with God, any of these things. And John says that clarity and living from a place of confidence in who we are is possible when we obey his command. He says, listen, this is for you. This is, this is who you are if you obey God's command. And then he goes on to explain it. He says, God's command is to believe in the name of Jesus, and to love your brothers and sisters as yourself. This is, this is how, if you want to know what it looks like to follow God, believe in Jesus and love your brother and your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound eerily familiar to anybody? Right, Jesus has said this once before. John, he's a plagiarizer, plagiarizer but I think he's got good authority. You know, he's got stamp of approval. That was a, uh, you know, inspiration joke. The Bible's inspired, given by God. Which I believe. I know it shouldn't make light of that. Um, John says with clarity, uh, and I, I want to introduce this idea as we, as we wrap this thing up. This is an idea that's about a thousand years old. It's, it comes from a guy named Anselm. He wrote uh, in like between a thousand and eleven hundred, one of the early uh, sort of mid-church fathers. And he writes, and it's, a, it's a, a Latin phrase. Do we have that? Do we get that one up there? There we go. Uh, credo ut intelligam, and it means this. I believe in order that I may understand. I believe in order that I might understand. It's kind of been shortened. You might recognize the phrase, faith-seeking understanding. One of my heroes, uh, Mr. Karl Barth, who was alive in the early, you know, World War I, this was the key to Barth's whole deal. He wrote like thousands and thousands of pages called The Church Dogmatics, and he says this, is, this was it. The light bulb went on here. What is Anselm saying? What is Barth saying by faith-seeking understanding? Let me see if I can break this down. Essentially, what they're trying to say is that our knowledge of God, our experience of who God is, our knowing of God is dependent on faith. So in the, in the realm of, of theology, right, study of God or knowledge of God, the, the object of our knowing, God, is not accessible empirically. This is a major problem for enlightenment kinds of people because what we want to say is, if I can't see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, feel it, then I don't know that it's true and I got to get all these things lined up in a row before I commit and say, okay, that's true, I believe it. The whole system, the whole point, God, knowing God, what Alan Salem, what Bart, what others are saying is that faith, what John is saying is that faith is the prerequisite to knowing and experiencing God. How can you know and experience something that you don't believe actually exists? It's impossible. It's logically ridiculous. So what John is saying, believe in the name of Jesus and love others as yourself. Faith has to come before our knowledge and experience of God. It just doesn't work any other way. And so if you're here this morning and you have been on the fence and you aren't sure and you've been trying to figure this thing out and you've been not willing to commit or jump I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is I'm going to push you. The good news is this Geronimo is like no other Geronimo you will ever experience in your life. Experiencing God 
requires. I mean, you know, super cheesy, predictable illustration here, right? Um, um, uh, Harrison Ford, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know the deal, right? Where he's, he's got the, the chasm between him and he can't see the bridge and what does he have to do? He has to like trust and believe that the thing's there and he takes this one, you know, super dramatic step and the boom, 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 boom. And sure enough, like there's something sure beneath his footing. Like it's there, it's actually there. I couldn't see it. I didn't know if I should believe it, but it's there, it's there, it's there. I experience it, I feel it, I'm not dead. And he throws the sand and, you know, the whole deal. As cheesy as that is, and as predictable as it might be, it totally works for what John is saying as he closes. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. John's insistence is that those who are in Christ have changed, that something has happened in them, but at times our hearts need to be persuaded. Kata Gnosko is happening, and we need to be reminded and persuaded that what is true of us in Christ, action and love helps move us along that persuading process. When our hearts condemn us, when they're confused, when they're against knowing, we can take heart that God's heart is greater, that God's knowing is greater, that what we see in Jesus is what we see of who God is. And then John says, by faith and love and action, we know that we are in God and God is in us. So friends, this is another, yet another version of the gospel. This book that John writes, over and over and over and over again, he comes back to things and he says, let me remind you of what's true of who you are. The lights are on. The darkness is passing. That this will not always be as it is. That you have been recreated. How great is the love of God that he might lavish upon us that we might be called sons and daughters of God. Over and over and over again, John reminds these people of what's true of them and he encourages them. And so as we close, I'm going to ask Ben to come. He's going to play a song. I'm guessing most of you haven't heard it. And that's totally uh, by intention. And here's why. I think sometimes when we come together, we need to be reminded. We just need to be encouraged. And we need somebody to speak words that are true about us and over us and for us when we can't speak them or believe them ourselves. I've been going to a spiritual director lately, and uh, wow, amazing, 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 because for an hour, I am a hot mess in this lady's office, and she says, you know what, Micah, you don't have to believe that, because I believe it for you. I will hold that for you right now, and it is a gift, and so as you hear this song, the words will be on the screen. I want you just to receive what Ben's saying and singing. I want you to hear it as a reminder of what's true about you. That God's disposition towards you is one of grace and one of love and one of welcome. It always has been and it was most fully displayed on the cross of Jesus. And with that comes an invitation for you to live into what's true of who you are. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com.
or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community. Or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.